Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. I am so glad to be back with you. Today, we're going to be looking into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I have been gone for over a month, being out of the country, being in the nation of Israel. It was a wonderful time of being with the believers in that nation. Coming back, I was under two weeks of self-quarantine, and now being back in the studio, ready to pick up where we left off. We left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to remind everyone, everything that we're doing in this Bible study as we're going through book by book chronologically in the New Covenant is about original intent of Scripture. What it meant is what it means for us today. We're not trying to interject our own thoughts, our own ways of understanding into the text, but we want to see what God said through Paul to the Corinthian church that God used Paul to establish this community of faith and what he meant to say to them through Paul is what it means to us today and to take those principles to apply it to our lives today because God's word does not change. It does not return void. It always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish and we want to see that done in this time. And so today I have Samuel that is with me. Samuel helped establish the whole studio, buying the equipment, putting everything together. If something is not right, it's all Samuel's fault. (laughs) So Samuel, it's good to have you back uh, with us. Oh, it's good to be here. I I know it's been a while since I was was back. It's been a while since you've been back. And I know that if you're listening to this right now, we are... Six feet apart in the studio while we're recording this, there is a shelter-in-place uh, ruling because there is a pandemic going on. Yes. I was talking to uh, Scott about this and felt that in the midst of this pandemic going on, it is even 10 times more important that right now we be able to make this podcast for you guys and really look at the Bible and what it's saying in original intent in a world where everyone is now forced to go online and look for the truth there um, instead of talking to a person face-to-face. So we really hope that you guys listen to this and you learn from the Word. And if you really enjoy listening to this podcast, please share it with people. Right now, I think it's important to get the gospel out into the world. And I think now that everybody's going online, it's a great opportunity for us to share this podcast with everyone so that they can get some good quality content. And Samuel, one thing that's been going through my mind Mm -hmm. with this pandemic that's going on is how fragile the world is Mm -hmm. with the fear and the uncertainty and the insecurity that people have about the future. And I've never felt that way. Yes, I, I want to be wise and following the directions that people are saying, but I've never mm-hmm. lost sleep. I'm not concerned yeah. about finances because God is our provider. I'm not mm-hmm. concerned about death because I belong to God. My life is in God's hands. Your life is in God's mm-hmm. hands. 
And as believers, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Mm -hmm. So as we go through and looking at this situation and how terrible it is, people are losing their lives. It's destroying economies, the whole Western world, their whole foundation Mm. of of economies is being destroyed, Mm. is crumbling. And yet in the midst of that, as believers, I don't fear. I see it as an opportunity to minister to the the gospel to people that are living in fear, people that live in insecurity, people that are nervous Mm -hmm. about tomorrow. But I'm not nervous about tomorrow. Right. Because my life is in God's hands. And the mercies of God are fresh and new every morning. Mm -hmm. And I know the mercy of God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And Amen. so we're, I, I challenge everybody to get into the Word of God, mm. not just topical messages once a week, but get into the Word of God and feast upon God's Word. Jeremiah the prophet said, I devoured the Word of God. And that needs to come back to the body of the Messiah today. We devour the Word of God. We're not just listening to someone else speak right. and proclaim once a week, but we are concentrated in our lives of knowing God's Word, living God's Word, applying God's Word to our lives, doing the Word of God, and being instruments in the hands of God in order to bring words of life to this world. Amen. And I know that's a a little bit preachy here, and uh, (laughs) that terminology just means that I'm preaching a sermon But I think everything that I'm saying here reflects what is important for today. It's a return back to God's Word and allowing it to live within our hearts that we can walk with Him, know His ways, know His character, and that we may not sin against God. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay. One of the more difficult chapters that I have ever taught is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In fact, Samuel came in probably about two months ago, and we were going to teach this chapter. We ended up just studying this chapter for about three hours. It's a very important chapter. There's some difficult things from a hermeneutical standpoint that we're going to deal with in this chapter, because sometimes he says, this is the Lord's command, and other times he is just saying, this is my idea. This is my thought processes concerning this issue. Now, remember, Paul is probably in Ephesus at this time, around A.D. 55, writing back to the believers at Corinth, and he has received a report of some issues that are taking place within this community of faith. And he's writing back to address these issues. And remember, Samuel, as we talked about a couple of months ago as we were studying, the immorality that existed within Mm -hmm. Corinth. Yeah. Immorality that we don't even want to describe right. because we don't want to get too graphic. Mm. But just trust me, it's immorality that is known throughout the Roman world. Mm-hmm. And to be Corinthianized is to go into that city and to participate in the immorality of Corinth. And at one time, there was a temple within this city Mm-hmm. that some believe existed in the first century where there was a thousand prostitutes within that one temple, mm-hmm. part of the worship of the pagan worship within that city. 
Think about trying to be a believer within that type of city. It would be very similar to being in Las Vegas, Amsterdam, mm-hmm. San Francisco, immorality all around you and everybody saying this is okay. This is where people are getting saved, trying to be discipled, Mm -hmm. and it's not important that these believers become relevant to the society by giving in to what is going on within the society. Mm -hmm. It's important that that they are set apart for the purposes of God. And these believers uh, in Corinth, probably coming from various backgrounds, you would have people that were non-Jews that were being saved and that were coming from uh, the background of hedonism and Gnosticism. And you'd have the Jewish people that were there living among all of that. They were trying to be good Jews, you know, doing all of the traditions. And then people that were Jewish that maybe were not living as a traditional Jew. And so you had Paul writing to those various people, and he's, he addresses various things based on the audience that he's writing to at the time. But this segment right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, is about marriage. And uh, he's writing, I don't want to get too far into it or anything, but just to keep that in mind, the time period that he's writing to the people in Corinth, Corinth is a very successful city. Eventually... The port, they had a large port there, and the port got farther and farther away from the city because the the river uh, would dump all the sediment out. So eventually Corinth did not become the grand city that it was at this time, but at this time it was a cultural hub. There are a lot of people moving to Corinth because it was a great business place. And so Corinth was very influential in the empire as far as, far as the culture goes. So they had a lot of what we would know as very progressive ideals there. And I think, you know, we all know cities that really embody that thriving, progressive, liberal ideal. You know, it draws people there because it seems like, you know, there's it's full of life, there's a lot going on. But you can see in this book, when you read First and Second Corinthians, the hardship, you know, of growing up in that kind of culture and then coming to Christ and how completely different that lifestyle is from all that you know. And so Paul just cuts straight to it in this chapter. He's saying, this is what God says. You'll see that again and again. The things that he says, this is what God says are non-negotiable. There's nothing we can say about that. That is, yes. that is God speaking. The things that Paul says where he's like, this is not God speaking but, but me, are uh, something that we're going to get into. Right, it's not about. a commandment, but this mm-hmm. is... What I am saying to you, mm-hmm. because some of these issues, Samuel, may not even exist within as Paul's thinking about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. How do we address this? We're not even uh, something that the Bible is even dealing with. Yeah. So that's an element as well as we go through this. Now, I do believe that the vast majority of the people in this community of faith were from Gentile backgrounds. Mm-hmm. If they were from a Jewish background, they were Hellenistic Jews. Mm -hmm. Greek was their first language. Their worldview, you mentioned Gnosticism, Mm -hmm. uh, was quite different than the understanding of the God of the Bible. Remember, they were kicked out of the synagogue in Mm -hmm. Corinth. And as they were kicked out and they turned 
to the city as a whole. The first place that Paul would go would be to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And Corinth, he was kicked out of the synagogue. He was there for a year and a half, and God gave him favor, protected him, and he spread the gospel to the whole city. Every door that was open to him, God gave him protection to bring the gospel to that city. So I believe the vast majority, as you go through this letter, was from a Gentile background. They didn't have any understanding Mm. of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. They're coming from a pantheistic pagan background. Mm. Now, Mm. let me just say this. In a pantheistic background, which is what Western culture is today, there are not moral absolutes. Mm -hmm. All roads lead to God. So if you go to this temple this or go this path, this philosophy, you find what is good for you mm-hmm. and you follow that path within your life and you're not mm-hmm. able to criticize someone else's path. Right. Now right. here comes Paul saying there's one God, one way, one salvation, one understanding of God and only one way to come through the cross of Yeshua the Messiah mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ. This is a totally different worldview than anything that they've ever known within their lives. What you're saying right there, it really becomes so relevant to me because I talk with a lot of people my age. I'm in my 20s, and postmodernism philosophy has caught on like fire among my generation. And a lot of people are really drawn to the fact that they can believe whatever they want to, and it's true because they are the, the center of their truth. They are the context for everything that they want to believe. Uh, in their mind, it satisfies all of their desires because there is no absolute truth. They're not accountable to anything. You know, They can live their life however they want because whatever they want to believe is true is true. And so uh, I think you know, the problems that we have today are not significantly different from the problems that are in the Bible. And if we just read the Bible, even though it is old, and even though it was written thousands of years ago, it still can tell us exactly what we need to know to face the problems in our culture and society today. Very much. And I just want to point out one thing. When someone comes and says there is no moral absolutes, Mm -hmm. they have made an absolute statement to come against moral absolutes. And please check them with that. Mm-hmm. The best that a person can say in a pantheistic ethical society where everything's relative, they can say maybe there's moral absolutes, maybe there's not. We don't mm-hmm. know. But a person that believes in one God, we, we believe in monotheism, one God, one Savior, one Lord, mm-hmm. uh, moral absolutes. I can say with everything within me, there are moral absolutes, and I'm not contradicting myself. Right. And even they will agree, if you question them, that there are some moral absolutes. Mm -hmm. As you go through different things within their lives, they will say, yes, this is wrong. This is something that should not be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. But anyway, let's get into this pagan Mm -hmm. society on the issue of marriage Mm -hmm. And see what God is saying through Paul to the believers at Corinth. Samuel, can you read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first six verses? Absolutely. We're using the New American Standard Version. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. 
The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Now that last statement there confuses some people. I believe what is happening here, Paul is saying, this is not something that we're looking back at and getting a command uh, for this, but this is what I'm granting. This should be done by concession. This is something that a husband and a wife should understand about themselves. Now, there's so much immorality within that city. If a husband is saying, it's not good to touch a woman, I'm going to stay completely away from my wife, this is actually going to create the wrong response within the marriage. It could lead to immorality coming into the marriage because one of the husband or the wife is saying, no, I'm going to devote myself completely to the Lord. I'm not going to touch a woman. Mm-hmm. The wife's saying, I'm not going to touch my husband. And what Paul is saying, this is not the way that marriage operates. As a husband, my wife has the ability to enjoy a relationship with me that God has ordained without getting graphic or specific with it, that God has ordained that the two shall become one flesh and we are one and she has rights over my physical body. In the same way as a husband for my wife, that she is not to keep herself away from me, but we have a relationship together where she doesn't have that authority to say, I'm not going to have a sexual relationship with my husband. I'm going to stay away from him completely. The only way that that can take place is if both of us in agreement are going to say for us for a time, we're going to spend time in prayer and in fasting and really seek the Lord. And we're not going to have this sexual relationship for this period of time. If we're both in agreement for that for a time, mm-hmm. Paul is saying that's okay. But we're not to deny our husband. We're not to deny our wife from that intimacy That's probably the best word Mm -hmm. from that intimacy that God has ordained for us to have. Mm -hmm. If we do that, think about the immorality that's going to come within our marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, we may say that we're strong. Okay, I can go a year, two years, three years, the rest of my life, and I won't even have intimacy with my wife. But look and see, that's not God's plan. Now, later, we're going to see that Paul had a gifting, and we'll talk about that to be single. But as a married couple, we are to live in intimacy, honoring God, reflecting why we came together as husband and wife. And only for, by agreement mm-hmm. can we, for a time, separate from intimacy. But both the husband and the wife need to be in agreement mm-hmm. to that. We're going to talk through it, but there's parts in uh, later on that really makes sense with that statement. Yes. And so it, it's it's very cool. You know, you can you can read this, you can read 1 Corinthians by yourself and think that every statement is just a standalone statement. And he's saying this, and then he goes on, he starts talking about something else, 
and then he starts talking about something else. But all of this, all of chapter seven, you know, he's saying all of those things together. So there's, I'm not going to get ahead of it, but there's some things later that are really going to make clear why he's saying you have a duty in marriage and you have a role in marriage. Don't deprive one another. Just because you're a Christian now does not mean that you stop fulfilling your role as a husband or as a wife. Yes, and maybe because of the immoralities Mm -hmm. in Corinth, that Mm -hmm. as believers, the mentality came in that we have to separate ourselves from immorality, Mm -hmm. but it's not immorality if it's in the context of marriage. In fact, that intimacy is very important in the marriage to keep it a godly marriage, to keep it centered on the things of God. And so if you're depriving the other, then things can go the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that he's bringing as a command, but as concession, granting. This should be something that we're seeking within a godly marriage. Now let's go to verses 7 through through 9. Let me read these verses. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Now he's talking about singleness. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn And the understanding here is to burn with passion. So when we look at these three verses, there is a gifting that Paul had to be single. Now, what you were saying earlier, as we go through this, you will see how this will make more sense because it's a time of distress upon the church and the difficulties that come as you're married with children when there's severe persecution that is going on. So, yes, it will make more sense as we go through. But what Paul is saying here is, I wish you were all like me, but not everybody is like I am. He was single. He could devote his whole life to the work of God. He spent close to 30 years, around 30 years, his whole focus was preaching the gospel. But in verse 9, But if they do not have self-control, let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm-hmm. It is better that you be in an intimate relationship under the authority of God, a godly marriage, to be in that and to have that intimacy unless you have a gifting to be single. And I've met a few individuals that have mm-hmm. had that gifting, and all their life was devoted to preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel, discipling people, and they didn't have the divided interest. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, Samuel, that's a very rare thing. And mm-hmm. some churches like Roman Catholicism that places this as mandatory Mm-hmm. upon their leaders, their priests. And there are no priests in the new covenant except the priesthood mm-hmm. of all believers. We don't have a mediator, a priest mm-hmm. or a priesthood, an earthly priesthood. We go straight to God through our heavenly high priest, Yeshua the Messiah. Mm-hmm. But they have a priesthood and the priest mm-hmm. cannot marry. They're forcing them into something that is unnatural. And they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and they use this as their text of why they should be single. But Mm -hmm. look again at verse 9. They go against what Paul is saying. 
But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm -hmm. Paul is not teaching that you have to be single in ministry here. But he is saying that he had a gifting. He -hmm. wished everyone was like him, but not everyone is like him. That's Mm -hmm. all that he is saying within this context. And then going back to 7 when he says, you know, I wish that all man, men were like I, I am, but each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And I think if we recognize that it's a gift from God, it's not a curse to be single, and maybe yes. we can extend a little bit of, of grace to the people that have that gift. It's a gift from God for them to be single. They don't want to be in a relationship. They don't need to. Their, their service and their calling is to serve God with undivided attention, and that's their calling. And if your calling is not to that gift, but to be in marriage, then that's your gift. And uh, we shouldn't you know, be looking at other people and, and judging whether or not they have a certain role in life, because that's not up to us. It's up to God. Yes. And we shouldn't be forcing people into either. A person has a gift to be single. They want to dedicate their whole life to God and to work for God and so much that they can be accomplished Mm -hmm. and to do if they were not married. But that's a gifting that they have. Again, it's not a curse. I like Mm -hmm. the way that you said that. It's a gifting. We look at that person, we're always trying to get them married. Mm to arrange Mm -hmm. something so that they can be married. But they could have a gift from God and be used by God mightily Mm -hmm. with that gifting that God has given to them. And the opposite is true is also where you have churches that say, if you're going to be used by God, you have to be single. Mm -hmm. And instead of understanding, not everybody has that gifting. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. And uh, not everyone has that gifting. In fact, my experience, very few have that, that gifting to be single and not, not to be desiring intimacy, but just completely focused to the work of God. Mm-hmm. I have met people with that gifting, but I'm definitely not going to try to force that onto anybody. Now, let's look at verses 10 and 11. We have a long ways to go here. Mm -hmm. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. Now, this is what Paul is saying here. This is a command that's very important. We know how important marriage is to the Lord. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not leave his wife. Mm -hmm. Now, some of your translations translate it divorce. But really what it is talking about is leaving. For a wife to leave her husband? No, that is not the plan of God. That is not the commandment of God. God is desiring that we are together and that we're in intimacy And it's not that the husband would leave his wife or the wife would leave his husband. And there could have been, Samuel, some that are leaving and saying, I'm leaving my husband because I'm going to devote myself completely to the Lord. I'm not going to have any more intimacy with him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be alone for the Lord. I'm going to give my life to the Lord, not to my husband. But they're married. Once you're married, you're not free to do that. 
And if you leave your husband, you're not to do that. And what is your obligation? Go back to your husband. Husbands, go back to your wives. This is not Paul's opinion, but this is the Lord's opinion. And when they have come together in marriage, they are to work together, to pray together, to minister together, to grow in the Lord together, to be in intimacy together, and to glorify God within their marriage, not to separate themselves from each other. So yeah, you start to see that theme develop throughout this passage where uh, he's addressing people's desires, and he's saying, you may have this desire to leave your husband. As a husband, you may have this desire to leave your wife. And in verse 12, but to the rest, I say, not the Lord that... Uh, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her or he must not leave her. He is saying, not even if they're an unbeliever and they consent to live with you. It doesn't matter what your desire is. You must follow God with your life. You must live a moral standard to show everyone else that you are a Christian. And you see that throughout this passage, and so it's going to keep reinforcing that. You know, you have a desire, but what is more important than that desire is the obedience. Yes. Mm -hmm. In fact, some are thinking that I'm going to honor the Lord by leaving Mm -hmm. my husband and separating from him and devote myself to the Lord. They're doing exactly the opposite of what God wants them to do. Right. Right. So when we go down into verse 12... We're dealing with a non-believer. Right. So verses 10 and 11 is dealing with two believers, but now Mm. he's going to turn to a believer with a non-believer. And even in verse 13, it continues Mm -hmm. that. It's just the same thing. 13 and 14. Yeah, same thing, except with the the wife, the woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her. She must not send her husband away. Right. And, Mm. And look at the terminology. In verses 10 and 11, he's saying this is... Not what I am saying, but this is the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with two believers. Mm-hmm. Here we're getting to a situation in verses 12, 13, and 14 that we're going to start dealing with abandonment, some of these issues, that a non-believer wants to leave her husband, uh, a non-believer wants to leave the believing spouse. But in these verses right here, he's dealing with the believer. In verse 13, he's dealing with uh, the non-believer leaving, abandonment. But in verses 12, 13, and 14, what is our response? What are we to do as believers? Let's look at this. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord. Now, this causes a little bit of a problem on hermeneutics. Is this a commandment? Is this, Mm -hmm. what, what is this? Should we follow this? This is Paul saying that I'm not taking this from something that I have gotten from the Lord, but this is what I'm instructing this church, these believers that I established, and what I feel is the right thing to be done. And let's see what he says. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not send her away. So what is the Mm -hmm. believer to do? He's become a believer. The wife is not a believer. Mm -hmm. You are not to send her away. Some translate this divorce, but you're not to send her away. Verse 13, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband 
is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. And what Paul is saying, what he feels that the best is, and what what he would instruct them with godly wisdom, is if you have an unbelieving spouse and they want to stay with you, of course, embrace them. Mm -hmm. That is your husband. That is your wife. Not only embrace them as your husband and your wife, but you stand in the gap and you be the covering for that unbelieving spouse and for your children. Mm -hmm. And later on, he's going to talk about them. There's possibility of them getting saved, Mm -hmm. that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the forgiveness of sins because of your faith and because you stayed with them because you were faithful to God and you were faithful to the marriage. Mm-hmm. And Paul is saying, I'm not coming from what's something that the Lord has told me, right. but I'm speaking right. to what I know in my life, what is right from the word of God, that right. this is what you need to do. If you have an unbelieving spouse It's not right for you to leave them. If they're Mm -hmm. wanting to stay with you, they're not running away from the marriage. You embrace them. That is your husband. That is your wife. You Mm -hmm. stand in the gap. You pray for them every day. You sanctify them by your faith, and your children will be under the authority that you bring in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that is clear. Yes. And some people read this and say, because it's not a commandment of the Lord, I don't have to do that. That's not what is taking place. Remember, Mm -hmm. all scripture is inspired by God. So he is giving godly wisdom Mm -hmm. to these believers at Corinth and saying, this is what I am saying to you, what I know, what is right in Mm -hmm. the eyes of God. Yes. And I think, you know, this statement just says a lot about what Paul, and I think also what God feels about marriage that it is that important. There's other cultures where, you know, it's very common for people to get married from the same religion, and if someone were to convert to a different religion, then that marriage would be annulled. That relationship is over, and those people would be even disowned in some cases because they are not congruent, you know, anymore. Um, But what Paul is saying is, if you come to the Lord and you're in a marriage and your partner is a non-believer, marriage is so important to God that he does not want you to invalidate your marriage just because you've become a Christian. Because you're a believer, he is saying, this is so important. You need to live out in obedience to God in your marriage as well. Even if they're a non-believer, embrace them. They are being, as he says, sanctified here because of you, and your children are being sanctified because of you. They're being set apart Mm -hmm. for the plan of God. And it's not that we run away from the unbelieving spouse. We're the one that has to stand in the gap spiritually Mm -hmm. and really, really hold the family together spiritually. And that means praying every day, doing the right things, Mm -hmm. loving our spouse in the way that God wants us to love our spouse and doing the things that honor God. And through that, God will use it to be a covering over the unbelieving spouse and over the children. Now, I have one more verse that that I want to look at, and we're going to have to stop in verse 15. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have to pick up at a later time the other verses. 
because we're almost at 40 minutes here. Mm-hmm. But I want to look at this last verse in verse 15. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, it's not you leaving, the believer leaving, but the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Mm-hmm. There is not anything that you can do when a spouse abandons you and leaves you. So you have two individuals in Corinth. One has come to faith, and the other one sees this and says, no, no, this is not who we are. This is not who I am. I'm not going to join you. In fact, I'm going to leave you. In that context, there's not anything that that person can do. So the other situation is when they're wanting to stay, of course you embrace them and you love them. You become a covering for them as a believer. But when an unbelieving spouse leaves you, there's not any way that you can force them to stay in the relationship and you're to allow them to leave. And when that happens, he goes on to say that the brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And there is a time that you have to let them go because you cannot force them to stay with you. Mm -hmm. And they leave. They're not with you from the heart or in the mind. They are abandoning the marriage. They are walking away from the marriage but God has not walked away from you. I encourage every believer who's married to a non-believer, do everything that you can to keep the marriage together. But when they abandon you, there's not anything that you can do. This is what Paul is dealing with here. It's a different context than you see in the gospel where Jesus talks about one divorcing his wife and sending Mm -hmm. her away. That's the person doing something that is wrong, divorcing and marrying someone else. Mm -hmm. Only for the sake of sexual unfaithfulness is one able to break that covenant. Am I or someone else able to break that covenant, those vows that they made to God and to the other person because they have been involved in sexual unfaithfulness within the marriage? Mm -hmm. That's not God's plan for the divorce. But this in 1 Corinthians 7 is dealing with abandonment when a non-believer walks away from the believer. You cannot force them to stay. You're not divorcing them. They are walking away from the marriage. Mm -hmm. Paul says, let them go. And you're no longer under bondage at that point. And so this is very clear what Paul is instructing them to do in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yes, Samuel. Like we said at the the beginning of this is a a deep scripture, a deep passage, and there's a lot of content here. And so I know we are talking a lot. And so this is the part one of 1 Corinthians 7. And we want you guys to tune in to part two, 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to get to see that theme of our desires versus our obedience developed even more and everything. It's going to be really good. You know, you guys come back, join us. Mr. Scott, is there anything you want to yes. add on? Well, I just want to close in prayer and mm-hmm. pray for godly marriages. And uh, in Western society, the family is under attack all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, marriages are under a, attack. And the greatest witness 
that we can have in this society is honoring God in our marriages and in our families and honoring God in everything that we do uh, within the family. If God has not called us to be single, has not gifted us to be single, most people that are listening to me are going to be married or are, are already married. And your greatest ministry is inside of that, that marriage and in that family. So let's pray for marriages and family. Heavenly Father, we want to honor you in, in our marriages, in our families, and we want to follow you in the right way, not in the wrong way. And Lord, help us to take the instructions that you're giving to Paul, and Paul is sending that to the church at Corinth, and apply these principles to our lives, O oh God. Lord, we belong to you, and our marriages belong to you, and our children belong to you. Everything that we have belongs to you and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you'll minister to people today. And Lord, if there is conviction that is needed in the hearts of individuals that are listening, convict our hearts. And Lord, break down the things that need to be broken down, the wrong ideas, and build up the things that represent you. Lord, I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.